0: Welcome to another edition of This Week in Digital Trust, 11M's regular conversation about all things tech policy, privacy, and cybersecurity. Hi Marge, I'm joining you once again from a cool country, and I'm joined again by Jordan. Hi Jordan, how are you? Hey Arch,
1: I'm doing well. I'm joining you as usual from Wurundjeri country in Melbourne, and I'm having a great week. I've been playing with a new toy. Can you guess what it is? A drone. A drone, sadly, no.
0: You and your surveillance habits. It's it's
1: much less exciting than a drone. It's a piece of software, an app on my phone, a replacement for Twitter even.
0: Ah, good old threads. You know, I was thinking actually a, f- a few weeks ago, you know, with all the problems in the world, what I really wish I had right now was another social app that was made by Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah,
1: we, re- we really needed to expand Meta's hold on social media. Yeah, just another one. The immediate experience, honestly, for me has been not particularly rewarding because I've spent a lot of time curating my Twitter feed of people and it's mostly, I mostly use it for like work and policy and stuff and like stuff that I'm interested in, in this kind of privacy tech environment. What Threads does is it imports your Instagram follow list and that's your default and Honestly, I don't really want to hear from most of the people I follow on Instagram. There'll be a photographer or a tattoo artist or a, you know, wilderness photographer. And like, sure, I love their photos. I don't necessarily love what they have to say. You know, if if it's going to be useful for me, I've got to put a bunch of effort into rebuilding that follow kind of graph. So it's been honestly a bit uninspiring.
0: That's interesting because... well. I should declare I haven't used it I haven't downloaded it so um, I'm completely objective in this conversation I'm untainted by it uh, yeah you're
1: you're the objective view. I can provide the on the boots on the ground experience yeah well,
0: I've read a lot of very heady excitement you know from people that are you know wouldn't necessarily even expect I mean the, the one that uh, you know particularly leapt out to me was Jordan Guayo who's a research fellow at the Australian Institute who has written books about social media and you know, responsible technology and I actually I would say a bit of a critic of, you know, big platforms like these social media platforms, but had a piece in the nine newspapers that using threads was, you know, feels intoxicating and just really sort of glowing write up of the experience of using threads. And I've read other pieces by kind of tech writers and analysts who really like talking it up and saying are awesome you know this is what we needed and so it's interesting to hear your experience of it being a little bit less excited but i think it probably speaks to something that people have been missing which is like' like you to be honest like you i have been someone that really enjoyed using twitter having had curated my list in the same way you describe so that it years ago was a place i could go and i always felt like sure there was a lot of crap to deal with but it was a remarkable place for me to feel like i was getting insights and i was getting really cool smart people uh, you know interacting and being able to watch it and hear conversations you know and i have missed that and, and that twitter doesn't do that anymore for me if threads looks anything like what Twitter used to, I can kind of see where that heady excitement comes from.
1: That was my experience of Twitter as well, and I think that speaks to the value of these Social media platforms is really in the community that uses it rather than the tools itself, right? Twitter's very conspicuously declined recently since Musk procured it. But threads, maybe it will be that one day, but it is not that today. It's full of folks kind of – I've heard it described as a land grab – Lots of just posting for engagement. What I kind of associate mostly with Facebook, honestly, but this kind of trashy, just looking for engagement, no real actual content type posting influences posting a lot, looking to kind of build a new following, build engagement, build recognition by the algorithm on this new platform. Yeah, it's been decidedly uninspiring. I think what's happening, though, is that, like everybody is just desperate for well th- there are a lot of commentators i, d- I wouldn't say everybody because even twitter twitter's got a couple hundred million follow- uh users right like it's not everybody but the people who like you and i were fans of twitter are really keen for a nice replacement and i think a lot of people have been overlooking the um downsides of Threads or the limitations of threads, not least being the fact that it's owned by Meta, as we started with, in their desire for you know a Twitter replacement.
0: We talked about this a little bit in the context of our last AI. Uh, episode in our mini series about the conversation around things like chat GPT being fueled by the fact that it's the journos and the chattering classes that might be affected by it which is why there's so many people talking about it and you know there's some truth to that I think with threads as well as like Twitter is you know very heavily dominated by journos by you know commentators by people who have a a loud voice and they've been wanting something to fill the moderated public conversation sized hole, you know, in our, in our social media landscape since Twitter kind of went off the rails. I can see why they're grabbing at it.
1: That's always been the key to Twitter's success, right? Is that the chattering classes, various presidents of the United States, very, you know, all of these important, socially important or powerful people that's been the platform of choice and so it's had this real power whereas like threads doesn't have that and without that it's not really anything yet
0: and and i think that's really interesting strategically because for a couple of reasons one you as you've said the model by which it kind of at least gets its initial user base is by tying it to Instagram. It's not the same audience that you're, you're sort of building into your threads feed that you would if you were, if you were a user of Twitter. These are the, the local bakers, the tattoo artists, you know, a whole different class of people. So Meta is going to have to lean a bit more heavily into the media sphere, the sphere, to get these people onto the Threads platform if they want to recreate the same sort of public square, public conversation kind of experience, as opposed to just, you know, a shopping mall and influencers and whatever. But one part of that I think that's interesting is Meta hasn't in recent years had a particularly cozy relationship with media. They've threatened to pull platforms entirely out of countries and not have news featured on their platform because of some argy bargy between media companies and Meta and, you know, media companies wanting a slice of revenue and whatnot. Obviously, that's more at our corporate level it's not the journos themselves but you know twitter used to do this back in the day i had some friends that worked there and i remember even when i was a journo that they had dedicated functions to reach out and advocate for media companies and for their users to get on and be really active users of the platform and i feel like meta which maybe has frosty relationships with media companies are going to have to sort of reach out with open arms one of the verge journos uh, was actually saying that they hadn't really been courted in the lead-up to the launch which is quite odd like he's a tech journal and he was saying, you know, we just, we weren't really brought into the tent on this at all.
1: I wonder if that's in part because of just how quickly they rushed to launch. One of Elon Musk's recent insane decisions with Twitter was throttling how many tweets you can look at in a day if you don't have a paid account which amounted to something like 20 minutes of scrolling or something from what i've read they really rushed the release of threads to be on the back of that there's a great quote in a verge article from Adam mosseri who's the head of instagram i think he was in running the launch referred to the launch as a lot more of a yolo launch than anything we've done in a while on threads ability to replace that public conversation and the relationship to news media that you were mentioning i think there's another element of that which i think is really important which is moderation policies so twitter has always been quite lax on moderation like you have to raise to a pretty high bar to get banned from Twitter. You know, you can post porn on Twitter. You always have been able to. You can post like various kind of risque or aggressive or potentially violent type content that you just wouldn't get away with in Facebook or Instagram. And that's been one of the reasons why Twitter finds it quite difficult, has always found it quite difficult to really make money. Because advertisers don't like being placed next to that kind of content that's objectionable in any way. The courting of the advertising dollars kind of shapes the moderation policy, which then shapes the kind of discussion you can have on the platform, right? And Twitter has optimised for open discussion in the past. I'm kind of talking about pre-Musk Twitter. Um, and Facebook and Instagram have optimised for advertiser safety. The Facebook and Meta environment is so constrained by these really aggressive moderation policies that I think there's a live question about whether or not these spaces can really be genuine public squares for really open discussion. Classically, it's really hard to talk about breastfeeding on Instagram, for example, because if there's too much breast in a photo, it's going to be flagged as inappropriate, game over. Whereas you can have that conversation, you always could have that conversation on Twitter.
0: You mentioned that interview with Adam and there's a great quote from him talking about the Threads app saying it's not they're not going to do anything to encourage politics and hard news. Laying quite bare, I thought the fact that that potentially compromises their broader strategic and commercial objectives. I mean, he's not putting it in that way. I think they have very cleverly lent in on uh, the reason for moderation being more about, oh, well, you know, we really need a f- more friendly public conversation app in this world. It's something we all want. We want to be able to converse and share ideas without hate speech, without, you know, the toxicity that we see on other platforms. So I thought that was quite interesting how hard they lean, they have leaned into moderation as being almost a feature just by comparison with, you know, the first cohort of social media apps, you know, 10, 15 years ago when they came out and moderation being very much an afterthought. Now it's a feature. Now it's something you can lean in on and lead with and say, we're going to make this thing an app that is moderated, that has, you know, rules around it, that is going to cultivate and create safe spaces for people to talk.
1: The content moderation is more than a feature. It's the product, right? The community and the content moderation rules That's, like, almost entirely what distinguishes threads from Twitter and what distinguishes, you know, Mastodon or Blue Sky or other Twitter clones from Twitter is who's there and, like, what are the rules for the conversation? How does that shape? the way that people interact. I think, sadly, that Facebook's motivation here is not to recreate a public square with hard-hitting news. It's to have half a billion-plus people having inane conversations about their day but paying attention to their app and showing ads to half a billion people and job done
0: it's not monetized just yet but they have said as much as if it is successful it will be monetized and ads will be the model we use some of the optimism and some of the heady excitement about what it looks like now doesn't account for the fact that there's a long way to go it's either going to go in that direction that you're describing which is heavily moderated to support a lot of ads or it's going to be you know if they don't get the moderation right and if they aren't as successful at applying those policies it's going to be a really challenging thing for them it was interesting to see that you've already got it's a bit childish i think but a whole bunch of right-wing accounts kind of jumping on there to really test it you know they're like deliberately posting kind of hate hate speech against transgender people or saying, you know, the 2020 election is rigged or whatever it is and just trying to get a trophy. You know, not want to be banned and so forth. So if it becomes a fully vibrant public square and everybody's got a view, that's what Facebook has to be good at moderating.
1: And if Facebook's good at anything, it's content moderation, right? I mean, they're not perfect. Nobody is. But Facebook has been moderating content for like 3 billion people across their apps They're doing it at scale. They're doing it. They've been doing it for years. They have worked through these problems more than anybody whether their incentives align with what I want to see, I don't know. But, you know, they've certainly got the infrastructures. They've certainly got the expertise to do it. One of
0: the interesting things, I don't know how much stock I place in this yet, but I just thought it was an interesting kind of strategic tech viewpoint, which was in a world where AI is going to be a competitive differentiator and language models where you want to train models on large amounts of text, this could be like a strategic pivot for Facebook, which has platforms that are very image and video heavy, but not as much text heavy to sort of start to get insights into conversations through, you know, encouraging that same user base to now start pumping out text, lots and lots and lots and lots of text. So, you know, it it fills their business model because it gives them more insights into what people are saying and thinking, but it also can kind of potentially support the development of a language model that they might be might might be investing in. Yeah, that's
1: a really interesting observation because all of these platforms have only just recognized the value of the data that they're sitting on for training AI models, right? That that was kind of part of the reasoning Musk offered for his rate limiting, which doesn't entirely make sense, but you know, Reddit has just started charging for access to their data, their APIs and stuff as well, so
0: I guess one of the notable things is the app was launched I think in a hundred countries but not launched in the EU that was a deliberate decision Adam Mercer has been quite open about that which is that um, they're worried essentially about the regulatory obligations that the EU would place on them particularly I think the digital markets act has come up a couple of times there's a bunch of obligations around sort of what they call gatekeeper platforms like Meta. But there's also been a series of decisions out of the EU directly relating to Meta and Facebook and the legal basis under which it collects and processes personal data. So they've got a few scars <laughs> and a few, probably more than scars, let's say wounds um, from EU courts and clearly trading very, very carefully in terms of dumping threads out into the EU
1: landscape. They've had some very significant fines recently on just GDPR, right? Some of which we've talked about You know, there was this Irish Data Protection Commission decision finding them something like $1.3 billion for transferring data back to the US without having, you know, proper protections. We did a whole episode on that, I think. There was also a a relatively recent finding about the basis on which they collect information and serve ads and that... They were relying on their terms of service, essentially, and the EU said, no, you need explicit consent from people. So, I think they're still working through all of that. I think the main one wasn't those previous fines, but the Digital Markets Act. I think there was a interview with Mosseri, who he was kind of, he didn't name it, but he was pointing to that as the driver. And the real, I think, rules in there that could get them in trouble if they launched threads are... Rules prohibiting mixing data across products to build advertising profiles under the digital markets act they would not be able to use information from threads to serve ads on instagram or on facebook and vice versa Um, or you know they'd have to build an entirely separate profile and i'm just not sure their systems or you know with the rush to get it out i'm not sure their systems are, are built for that there's definitely some potential issues there that they would have to work through one thing i've found interesting about the coverage of this is this divide between often americans' But some folks, pro-tech folks, criticizing the EU for having overly strict rules that have stopped Meta from rolling out means Europeans can't get access to this fun new toy that I've been playing with. Whereas I think, on the other hand, I've got this great quote from a Danish lawmaker whose name I'll probably butcher, but Christelle Shaldemose. who who says the fact that threads is still not available to EU systems shows that EU regulation works because they have to there's a bunch of things requirements that the EU has unless you can convince them that you're compliant with those you can't do it right move fast and break things is in the past right you got to make sure it's safe and compliant before you can launch it
0: I had exactly the same impression because Adam Masseri basically gives that game away in his quotes in these verge interviews he talks about the fact that when he's asked like why didn't you go to the EU and he said oh look I'd love to I I mean I live outside the US but it's going to take a while unfortunately because we've got to work through you know some of these obligations but it was either we wait on the EU or we delay the launch by many many months but I was worried our window would close you know timing is really important and he's basically saying we wanted to rush. They saw this kind of commercial landscape of Twitter, you know, the rate-limiting disaster. There's a window here. There's a bunch of things that are not completely complete. We haven't tied loose ends together, but we want to push this out for commercial reasons and expose people to the loose end. And the EU has a landscape, a regulatory landscape where it says, no, actually, you need to tie up all those loose ends and be really careful about meeting obligations before you can launch. And he's basically saying, yeah, you're right. We're going to have to wait. And so the thing about not launching in the EU, which I've enjoyed seeing as part of the coverage, is that It just gives us the common sense check of let's not forget the history and the track record of Meta. Let's not forget that their business model and their practices have long been about being loose with protecting privacy and targeting people. It's very easy to be caught up in the heady excitement we've talked about, about like they're filling this space for a friendly public conversation app. But I think this EU, the inability to launch the EU just reminds us all that, hey, hang on a second, this company has form. Let's not get too carried away. Away and, you know, you can see the fact that they're struggling to get out into the EU because they have that form. And it was completely coincidental. But, you know, just today, which will be a week later when our audience hears this, but there's a federal court filing relating to an A-3C suit against Meta basically found that Meta has admitted a VPN software app that they acquired that they promoted as a way for people to keep their data safe was being used by Meta as a business intelligence tool to combine information they got from the VPN app with information from other parts of the platform exactly what you're describing the DMA act tells them they can't do really loose and sloppy practices and you know that's probably generous to describe it as loose and sloppy but using a VPN app using data from a VPN app for you know data mining and intelligence purposes and commercial purposes this is the company
1: yeah absolutely right and what we need is to be like the EU and to be clear on the standards re- we require update our privacy apps and have firm standards that protect our data and protect us from this kind of surveillance and advertising, protect kids from this kind of surveillance and advertising, and have well-funded regulators who can actually enforce it, and accept that that might delay a launch. You know, we might not get our Twitter clone for a few months. Like oh, you can't see me swooning, but what will we do, right? Like, I really like the EU position of just like, yeah, we have requirements. We're not backing down from them. This
0: conversation hasn't necessarily convinced me to run away and download the app and try it out. I suspect I will at some point because I do have that hole in my heart as well for a public conversation app, and I'm keen to see if this fills it, but I'll be be wary.
1: It's worth playing around with. For a privacy person, I'm not particularly protective of, like I have Facebook on my phone and, if you have facebook on your phone then there's no incremental harm surveillance harm to me from also downloading threads right they already can see all sorts of things so maybe it's better than twitter but it's inevitably extremely problematic and flawed from a surveillance point of view
0: what i'm going to do is i'm going to download the app and my first tweet is going to be that quote (laughs) it's going to be posting out a link to the podcast with maybe it's better than twitter but it's extremely problematic
1: (laughs) yeah sounds good
0: all right we'll leave it Okay. yeah chat to you next week
1: talk next week thanks much